My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Lord, we have a special relationship with the Holy Spirit when we come before the tabernacle in a mysterious way that we don't comprehend fully. We receive the effects of the Holy Spirit when we come before the Eucharist, and especially when we receive the Eucharist. And our topic of conversation is on docility of the Holy Spirit. There's a new tone, and I would say this new tone begins at the Last Supper, where our Lord is starting to hand the baton to his followers. And now another divine person becomes prominent. That third person that had never been explicitly mentioned until the Last Supper, even though the Old Testament refers to the Holy Spirit, but it's without the teachings of Jesus, it's very murky who this Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. And our Lord basically tells his apostles they're going, to, they're going to go way beyond their natural capacities. And it seems like there's a little bit of a laid-back detachment over the fear and cowardice of the apostles. Our Lord's basically saying, well, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to have a lot more fortitude and courage. Uh, now, you don't have the, this special anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so you're going to cut and run. Uh, you're not going to understand my teaching. You're going to still manifest many symptoms of self selfishness, but I'm just getting you ready for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what does our Lord say? He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another consoler or counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Then our Lord says, within the same Last Supper event, he's specifies what this Holy Spirit will do. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Well, he is going to transform his followers into himself or via the Holy Spirit. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, to penetrate the words of Jesus and convert us and transform us. And Lord, help us see in a practical way what this docility means. And there's this kind of, kind of new tone that we're celebrating today on today's Feast of the Ascension, I would say the 
prominent word, hands down, at least in cycle A, first reading, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, the gospel itself, is the word power. That's the prominent word. Uh, Our Lord associates, and St. Paul as well, associates the Holy Spirit with power. And let's unpack that with the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, who's that perfect teacher, he wraps everything up in his last encounter. This in, he physically will not appear again until the end of time. And he gathers his disciples around him. And I don't know, I'm not a scripture scholar, but it seems like there's a little conversation about the end times. Okay, well, the, we got the Paschal mystery out of the way, death and resurrection, uh, Let's get a piece. Of, get, let's get some glory here. When is the end of time? You know, when can we enter into your kingdom in a full way? And uh, I always use this quotation or other quotations where people ask me if I have a, any inkling of the end times. They ask me, well, you know, inkling. You know, all sorts of things are happening, and they kind of correspond with the New Testament. And I usually disappoint people. I just say, well, if the Son of Man doesn't know, how am I supposed to know? Okay, so, um, so, but anyway, I, the other disappointing thing I usually say, which is a little bit of an insult to intelligence, even though it's not my intention, well, we're closer to the end times today than yesterday, I, I think, you know? uh, I'm no genius, but uh, I think we are, uh, and so our Lord basically tells his, his followers, hey, we got work to do. I don't want you thinking about the end times. That's not for me to tell you. You've got a whole world to evangelize. And on a natural level, especially 2,000 years ago, when you wouldn't travel beyond 15 miles of your home, and plus you were Jewish, and you weren't allowed to hang out with non-Jews, lest you become impure, our Lord unveils a very... radical plan. And I would say this is, this is his most dramatic mandate. And that perfect teacher, and they'll never forget it because now he leaves, he ascends, he vanishes. And those are his departing words. It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where the church started. And our Lord says you've got to do it in concentric circles. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I'm sure this was not just, you know, a 10-second interchange. I don't know if it was a picnic, I don't know if it was a party, but it was, I would say, an elaborate interchange. How's this going to happen? What do we do? Where do we start? A legitimate pushback would be a description of the culture of that pagan ancient world where virtually no truth of the gospel would even be remotely embraced by those pagans of that ancient empire. Talk about countercultural. Talk about a clash of cultures. And in fact, St. Paul... Inspired by the Holy Spirit, but who knows, maybe the Holy Spirit 
inspired him when he was in a glum mood. Uh, why do I say that? Well, just read the end of chapter one of his epistle to the Romans, and he starts going through a whole litany of all the troubles he's going through and all the obstacles and all the sin and all the perversity. And that's what our first brothers and sisters are called to deal with. And our Lord basically says that with the Holy Spirit, you're going to win the game. What is he saying? He says, well, my grace is more powerful than the sin of the ancient world. My truth is more powerful than all the deception. My joy is far superior to the cheap hedonistic thrills that mark the population of that empire. You will receive power. And yes, Jesus says teach, but I would say the more prominent word is witness. They're both intimately linked. It was kind of interesting. I, anyway, I baptized someone from China at St. Mary the Angels. And so when you know, reading the first, the first reading took on a special meaning. And uh, I was trying to be my gentle, tactful self. And I said, you know, I said 2,000 years ago, China would be the end of the earth. I didn't get too many laughs, but anyway, there were a lot of people, there were relatively good number of Chinese people in there. And uh, I said, especially vis-a-vis Jerusalem. So it was kind of nice to have that divine commission bear fruit in, a, in, a, in an existential moment today on the Feast of the Ascension. Lord, in this conversation we want to have with you, unpack with us this whole idea of power of the Holy Spirit. This docility is not passive, nor is it voluntaristic. I'm just going to be holy and do apostolate by just brute effort. Both are no-nos. But what is this power all about? And we could engage a little bit our reason, and yeah, there's scores of people don't want to commit one of the few sins left, being judgmental. And, but many people are, millions of people are baptized and confirmed and receive the Eucharist, will they start spreading the kingdom in these concentric circles, family, workplace, social relations? Will they, will I make headway in spreading this kingdom of peace, of joy, of freedom, of truth, of love, of consolation, of purification? And I think the answer is yes and no. Faith and reason need to mesh and in many instances, it's no. No, the kingdom is not going to be spread by every single person who has been baptized and confirmed. And we ask you, Lord, even though we may know the academic answer, well, resolve this dilemma. Where is this power? And I would say, and, it's, uh, and, 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 and forgive me for the clumsy word, because just for the record, as a disclaimer, we don't, make God do anything. We don't cause God to do anything. That would be Pelagianism, you know. Sanctity depends on me. But with that being said, because God has willed it so, and again, excuse me for the clumsy word, we activate that power. I have that power. Your car parked at the curb has power. It's got the wherewithal to bring you to your destination. But you need to activate that power. No, you don't. Your starter 
or the spark plug does not get you to your destination, but you've got to turn the starter and activate the motor. In a certain sense, I need to activate this power I have, and that's part of the, the spirit of Opus Dei. Well, listen, I've got, when they say, listen, you come to grips with your baptismal grace, what does that mean? And, and what's the purpose of Opus Dei? In a certain sense, activating that power of baptism and confirmation, and the Eucharist for that matter, activating. How do I activate that? It is through our life of prayer that we can understand the other aspect of today's feast, the apostolate, the carrying out of the commission Jesus gave to the disciples shortly before the ascension. You shall be my witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the very ends of the earth. It's interesting to note how St. Jose Maria, you know, in his tour de force homily on spreading the kingdom talks about, even though he doesn't use that phrase, activating that power. And he identifies apostolate with the interior life in this, in this homily. In his homily on the great unknown, he says, first of all, docility, because it is the Holy Spirit who, with his inspirations, gives a supernatural tone to our thoughts, desires, and actions. It is he who leads us to receive Christ's teaching and to assimilate it in a profound way. It is he who gives us the light by which we perceive our personal calling and the strength to carry out all that God expects of us. If we are docile to the Holy Spirit, the image of Christ will be formed more and more fully in us, and we will be brought closer every day to God the Father. For whoever are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God." Reminds me of an incident, I guess I, I may have had my game face on, I was having a plate of spaghetti, and uh, so it probably did. I was kind of hungry, and I was having a meeting at a local Italian restaurant. Changing the world, apostolic strategy, sharing insights with each other, and as I am enjoying the conversation, especially the meal, a young man approaches the table, and uh, he has a book in his hand, and his hand is shaking. Uh, he was, well, he was a teenager. I, he told me he was 17. And he starts profusely apologizing. The kid was stuttering, and he was visibly nervous. And he said, I'm so sorry to interrupt your meal. I guess I was really into it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really sorry. I said, don't worry about it. What, what's up? No, no, I, I know I'm interrupting your conversation. I go, that's okay. What's, what, you know, what can I do for you? Uh, it's, this sounds really stupid. I said, no. Uh, what can I do for you? He said, I want you to bless this book. I go, okay. I said, can I see the book? You know, you got to be careful. I, I got to see what I'm blessing. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't exactly what I'd call a page turner no matter how old you are, but especially for a 17-year-old. I just didn't want to bless a Harry Potter book, so I wanted to look at the cover. And it was, I think, Devotion to Mary by Louis de Montfort. Wonderful book, beautiful book, classic, but not something I would expect uh, too many people to be reading now, an 18th century book, especially a 17-year-old. 
so I blessed the book, and the kid's pretty happy. I said, well, now, hey, don't leave. I, I, I want to ask you a couple of questions. And he says, uh, I said, you must come from a very solid Catholic family. So no, no, it's pretty, no, my, nobody practices the Catholic faith, and it's a little bit dysfunctional. I go, oh, I'm sorry. I said, well, now you've really piqued my curiosity. I said, well, what, what makes you tick? What are you doing with this book? Uh, I said, it's not very usual that a kid your age would be reading this book. And he said, well, my grandfather a, is a very good person. And he, we're really close. And the kid basically says, I kind of want what he has. He's a very, he says, he's a very good Christian. He's a very good Catholic. And, I, and basically the kid was saying, you know, he has it right and I want to learn from him. And so what did the kid say? Well, he didn't say, we can multiply this uh, thousands of times. He didn't say, well, my grandfather's just a great teacher. He has just brilliant theological insights. And we know when St. Jose Maria was getting the work off the ground, even though his theology is very new, very progressive, you know, this holiness in the middle of the world, this theology of secularity and work. It goes back to the gospel. But I think we could be morally certain that they didn't rally behind him because of these insights, this breakthrough in theology and spirituality, this secular spirituality, but because he witnessed as the author of Uncommon Faith said, John Coverdale, who had the uh, grace, privilege to work with a saint. He was uh, working in the press office or the PR office. And, uh, you know, he's not someone given into exaggeration. I mean, he's a lawyer. I mean, that's not a knock. But, you know. And he said that you would always sense, he said, it, God was very close. Christ was very close when he was interacting with our father, with St. Jose Maria. Lord, I ask another question, all right? But still, give me, give me some lights on activating this power so that I be a witness, so that they, in with my flaws, with my sinfulness, on some level, in this vessel of clay, that they see that face of Christ. As St. John Paul defines, he says that the essence of the new evangelization is revealing the face of Christ. And how does that happen? I need to be docile to the Holy Spirit. He forms the face of Christ, which is basically a nice way of talking about the heart of Christ. And I would say maybe the first line of docility, like to look at Our Lady here. I mean, she is the most docile person to the Holy Spirit, and, every, and the saints follow her example. And her vocation is a paradigm of ours. And what do we see? She, basically, she brings Christ to the world. That's what Mary did. I mean, this divine commission of preach to all nations was begun by Mary in a very spectacular way. I mean, she metaphorically brought the transcendent Son of God, infinitely transcended, into my world. And that's why I could adore the Blessed Sacrament. And how did it happen? Well, to say that she did it would be her heresy. It was the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. But it wasn't 
this overshadowing in an isolated way. I'm going to paraphrase St. Bernard of Clairvaux, where he has a long homily, and he's uh, spiritually emoting, you know, kind of, you know, sounds like he's shouting. He, Mary, say yes. Mary, we're waiting for you to say yes. The whole world is saying yes, waiting for this yes. We want to be redeemed. Please don't tarry. You know, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. The Holy Spirit incarnated the Son of God when Mary expressed the greatest act of docility in the history of the universe. She said yes. And, and what, was, what was behind that, yes, I, I want to do God's will. And maybe, and by the same token, my docility always begins with a disposition. And we see it in the saints. We see it in St. Jose Maria. We see it in Don Al Blessed Alvaro. I want to be a saint. We use it for the sake of our prayer and good example. And, and docility, that's the driving force. I, I want to be Christ. And avoiding two dangers. One is passivity. Well, well, bring it on. Lord, I'll be a saint. Yeah, just bring it on. You have to actively seek holiness. Or... I want to, you know, I can't make it as a poet, I can't make it as an athlete, I can't make it as a singer. Well, maybe I can make it as a saint. So, you know, I want to microwave my sanctity and I want to be in league with Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross and Mother Teresa and all the rest. No, that's volunteerism. I'm going to do, my, I'm going to say yes. And we remember, you know, the um, John Paul, it happened a few times, but this happened to when Don Alvaro was waiting for John Paul to, to enter into this visitor's room in the Vatican. And Blessed Alvaro, very sensitive to the needs of others, he noticed that the Pope was kind of work, walking slowly. It was before pre-Parkinson's. He said, you know, Your Holiness, you're, you're very tired. And he said, well, at this hour of the day, I should be because I really want to be a saint. He said, that's what I want to do. I want to be a saint. And so as we begin to finish up our prayer here, number one, I want to be a saint. And number two, I want to be sensitive. It could be a good fraternal correction. It could be something in the spiritual reading. It could be something of the Father. For example, a real you know, glaring one. Our fa the Father says, priority, the humanity of Christ, the centrality of Christ. Okay, the, that's what he is. Okay, what, what am I doing with that? It could be something within my own prayer. It could be the good example of someone. It could be in my examination of conscience, as our separated brethren say, I was convicted, you know, uh, whatever it could be. So yes, big picture, I want to be a saint, and then uh, sensitive to, all right, that moss, as our Father would say, that, all right, loving more. Mary, we pray to you. Help us be docile to the Holy Spirit. Help us say fiat to him in a concrete way. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations. You've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and bring them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.